Abstract Athlete Podcast, a collision of art, sports, and science. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Abstract Athlete Podcast. Thanks to our amazing listeners and to our sponsors for their epic support. And if you have any questions or comments, please send it to info at theabstractathlete.com. Make sure to listen to our new podcast coming up on the Abstract Athlete Network. One is called the Abstract Doctors Podcast with Dr. G and Dr. C. Follow us on social media under the Abstract Doctors. And also excited to announce One Man's Ethos Podcast with Tony Mandrich. Follow us at One Man's Ethos, and you can follow Tony on Instagram at Tony Mandrich, and also check out his artwork at TonyMandrich.com. Stop by our website, TheAbstractAthlete.com, for information on subscription boxes and on upcoming events and workshops. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Excited to talk with former San Diego State track and field athlete, award-winning writer and storyteller, and current executive editorial producer at Stanford University, Dave Kiefer, going to talk about his athletic background and his track days at San Diego State. Also going to talk about his award-winning writing career and his passion for storytelling. Make sure to check out Dave's writings at GoStanford backslash featured. Let's welcome Dave Kiefer. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Is this Ron? This is Ron. Hey. Nice <laughs> I actually just texted Adam and told told him I was having you on today. Oh, <laughs> cool. Well, we'll have to have something to talk about over the fence. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is social distancing at its best, right? Yeah, exactly. So, well, welcome. Thank you for doing this um, out of nowhere. Like, I, I actually really love a lot of how we're getting different people on this podcast and stuff. Um, just the randomness of it. And so it's like, it's it's really cool to me because it's, I think it's opening up ideas to the people that listen to this stuff. And it's also just it's cool for me tell yeah tell excellent but yeah is this is this a, a studio in your house right now yeah just i'm actually just in 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 a sunroom so um it's it's a mobile see actually we started the podcast before covid and the idea was that i would be doing it on the road which is, is kind of a a precursor to a television show idea that actually one that we've talked to adam about um and being able, it wouldn't be me as a host with a television show, but um, having one of the athletes that we work with um, being a host and being able to like literally mobily going to their studios or, you know, or whatever. So, but everything oh. kind of changed. So um, yeah. this works. Um, and actually it's kind of, it's kind of cool in one way because we were not videoing stuff. Not that we really use video, but to, you know, just to have like a different kind of snapshot of people. I think it was kind of wild too, but yeah, yeah. So it's it's here. I'm actually heading out west again this week, where my my business partners live in Colorado, and we're currently looking at 
properties out in Montana to start a residency type of a program. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. That's pretty exciting. Hopefully. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's it's an idea until it happens, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, I'm just yeah. curious, are you, are you looking at any particular area? We, the last couple of years, we've actually found this area. It's it, an area called Red Lodge, which is... I've heard of it. It's basically like an hour south of Billings and about an hour and a half from Yellowstone and about 50 minutes from Cody. So to us, it's like a really cool area. And this, this town is actually, it's kind of a hipstery art uh, ski town. And so it's, it's really cool. It's like a really, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, a really arty town, it feels like. So, um, so it'd be cool to be near there so people could get into that town and be near Yellowstone. So we could take like day trips if we did workshops with, you know, whether it's kids or, or businesses or whatever. So, um, yeah. big ideas, just, you know, trying to move forward and see what nice. happens. So, yeah. My oldest daughter's in that region. She's, uh, uh, she lives in Jackson hole. So. Oh, she's Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. just, she worked a couple summers at uh, Grand Tetons and just didn't want to leave. And she I, just found I don't know yeah. why I always come back to the East Coast. I'm telling you, today is actually <laughs> amazing, but it's usually so humid here. It's just like, I, I will never get used to that stuff <laughs> and being out there. Although my business partners both texted me last night because there's major fires in the mountains and they were actually getting ash dropped on them from the fires you guys yeah. are still south of fires are you not we've had we've they're starting to get um under control but there's still a couple burning that are not far away so we've had really until the last couple of days we've had smoke yeah. you know for the last couple of weeks and yeah. you know the orange moon you know kind of rising and all yeah. that kind of stuff and so it's been really but it's ha it seems to happen every year now yeah um, you guys that that area has been yeah, for the last four years. I mean, that huge one was just north of you guys. What? Yeah. Yeah. Even though these are the ones that are, we've had a couple this last couple weeks have been pretty close, but they haven't been as big as, you know, the, the bigger ones that, um, you know, were like in Paradise and Santa yeah. Rosa and places like that. But the smoke's been about the same because those, even though those were a lot farther away, they still came over depending on which way the wind was blowing, you know? So, yep. yeah. Now I, I was just out in, in Fort Collins, I guess it'll be three weeks ago. And I arrived on a Thursday and this fire had just started and we watched the sunset from, from his house with, with, and it was, it was already a huge fire and it had literally just started that day. And then we drove up to Montana and back and by the time we got back it had you know exploded to you know like 15 yeah. 20,000 acres and it's just crazy yeah you know, know. like california has what those santa ana winds and it's just it's just so dry out there yeah we had uh, we had some uh lightning which we never get i know you guys get it probably yeah. regularly but daily <laughs> yeah <laughs> we never you had get the, it you had like yeah the lightning storms without the rain right yeah yeah and so that started a lot of these things so yeah. it's really unusual yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, we've we've already started. I mean, like, I, I just love like this is kind of how it is. It's like the free form conversation, which I you know I actually really like. But you know, one of the things I think that interested me, and I think why Adam, our mutual friend, put us in in contact was that you kind of play in this space that we talk about, like the creativity aspect. You're a writer, and you're a you're a former college athlete. I don't know exactly what you did because I couldn't find, I knew you were in track and field, but I don't know what your events were. So we'll talk about that. But also just, you know, you write about sports. So there's, there's a connectedness in that realm. And I also want to know if like you write or do anything else creative, you know, like if you write, um, cre- not, not sports writing, but if you like write poems or any stuff like that. So really this is, you know, we just, I, I like to keep things like really, free form and and um but this is your platform so <laughs> yeah so i think um probably the two most proudest titles that i could have ever given myself were athlete and writer and the athlete part was something that you know going through high school and you know you have certain goals and you know i watched dave waddle win the 800 you know in the 1972 olympics and you know, I was hooked and um, I never thought it would happen. And and one thing led to another and I was able to walk on to the track team at San Diego State and run the 800. And and that was a huge just personal achievement for me because I was never a superstar. And to be able to get to that level and call myself an athlete, you know, um, was something that I still uh, just treasure. But then just maybe in the last couple of years, I realized that um, for my professional career, that I've been a writer my entire life. And it took me a long time to be able to identify myself, but now I do and I, I'm proud of it. I, I, so now if people uh, ask me what I do, it's not necessarily, well, I'm a journalist, which I've done, or a publicity director, which I've done, but I'm a writer and I've been able to make a, a living as a writer, which I know is a very rare and special thing. <laughs> yeah. Any more. I mean, it's, it's even, it's, I mean, it, at least paper writing um, like that, that completely has changed, but you like you, like what are some of the titles? Like, I mean, you've written for multiple newspapers, but now you're, are you strictly with Stanford? Yeah. So um, it's interesting because, uh, I was in newspapers for over 25 years. Actually, I first published a story when I was age 16 for a daily wow. newspaper. And I didn't even have my driver's license yet. That's a whole nother story. Uh, my dad had to drive me to the game and it was a high school football game. He had to drive me to the office. Fortunately, it was an afternoon newspaper, but I literally took all night uh, to write a story that I could write in 15 minutes now. <laughs> And the editors changed everything. Uh, this is like and, the sports version of Almost Famous, right? Yeah. Now. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is still so. I mean, my dad had to wait in the car for literally the entire night for me to finish, and he tried to knock on the door of the office, and I, the the security guard would come get me, and I would say, "No, I was I was too embarrassed to have my dad come into the office and wait for me." So I made him sit in the car, um, and then as soon as uh, you know, the sun was coming up. I, I got back and we went home and he said, you've got to get your license like now. So <laughs> from, then on, from then on, I was able to drive to my assignments. But um, 
but yeah, so today, uh, so after my newspaper career, uh, which included, uh, I was a news reporter for a couple of years. I was a, a beat writer for the San Francisco Giants for a, a brief time. Um, uh, mostly covered high school sports, which I love to this day. Um, but uh, now I work strictly for Stanford in their communications office, but we've been able to work out um, basically um, a job where I'm a feature writer. So it's, this is very unusual for college um, athletic departments to do this, but we've really created like a, a really strong content um, part of our job, which is used to be more publicity oriented. But the fact that newspapers are really struggling and the resources that cover our teams are shrinking, if non-existent. So we're kind of covering our own uh, teams and writing feature stories. And But beyond that, it's not just like... Um, like just publicity related stuff. We're actually like writing really cool stories and I'm not afraid to, um, you know, identify problems that these kids face, even at Stanford, you know, there's, it's not a perfect place. And, you know, I've written stories about mental illness because of the pressure there, you know, all kinds of stuff. And they've allowed me to do that. So I'm really well, thankful. I think you're, you're an example of somebody that would understand that. Um, I mean, yeah. in a, a student athlete, like I, I was a student athlete for a year and a half as well. And I've actually started, uh, like a program at Virginia Commonwealth where I teach that's called art and athletics. And it's supposed to bring, it's not just for artists and just for athletes. It's really truly for anybody, but a lot of the student athletes take it. And part of what's, I don't want to say fun for me, but well, I guess fun for me is like that I can understand the pressures of a student athlete, like that idea that you wake up and your day is built every day. Mm. It's six o'clock. Then you go straight to lifting. Then maybe you'll have study table. Then you have lunch. Then you have a class. Then you have practice. Then you have another study table and then you're done. And it's just like, how do you even exist in that space? And I'm sure that because you understand that that's super beneficial for you as a person in your position. Yeah, for sure. And I think even taking that a step beyond is like how these people are per perceived. They don't, people don't, they, they may think that, oh, they're athletes. That's how they got into, you know, the school or that's how, you know, they have everything taken care of, but they don't understand that, uh, that what they, yes, they're, they're, they have no free time. They have, they can't get jobs, you know, they can't, go away for a spring semester abroad or, or whatever it is. Um, and so they're, they're actually like hindered rather than helped, you know, as far as, you know, what they can do and, and all that. But yeah, I think I, I definitely went through that. And I think um, partly is you're always trying to gauge about how valuable you are, whether it's to your team or, you know, if you're, um, doing your job for the team or, you know, if you're not playing, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you know, if you're, if you're struggling, if you have an injury, um, you know, you blame yourself. And if you, if you have to sit out, then all of a sudden your confidence gets shot because you're identifying yourself so much as an athlete that you can't identify yourself as not being an athlete. Yep. Um, so that's definitely something that I, I experienced. And I also see that in, uh, the people that I've gotten to know and gotten to cover. And that's a, that's a real 
I mean, mental health, I mean, that's a whole nother issue, but that's a, well, and that's, we, we actually issue. deal a lot with in the abstract athlete. We deal a lot with that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that space because, and what we're trying to do is show that, you know, creativity is such a great way to come. I don't want to say combat that, but I'll say combat that because it's just, you bring everything down. You kind of find that, that place where you disappear. I mean, it's, you can, physical exercise is another way to combat mental, mental health. Everybody knows of the the term, the runner's high. It's where Mm -hmm. you just kind of disappear into that space and all like, all you see is that thing in front of you. And that's, so again, like kind of combining these two things that I think a lot of people do not associate with each other. They're so connected to us. I mean, that the idea of creativity as a practice, you know, that people don't really think of it that way. But what happens if you do creativity like you would do a physical exercise? And how does that benefit us, you know, mentally and, 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 and physically even? And like, does it actually help performance? And does it actually help you daily grinds of work? You know, does it help taking a test? And so there's all these things that we're, we're starting to really put out there and, and which you're, you're kind of talking about, which is, is pretty awesome, you know, to like hear. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like those, both those ideas are completely intertwined in every aspect, at least in my life. And I see it in um, the people that I write about and, you know, for instance, you know, there's nothing that I love doing more than going out on the trails. We have plenty of trails in the San Francisco Bay area on a Saturday morning and running for, you know, whatever it is, 45 minutes, an hour, you know, whatever it is on those trails. <laughs> and it's amazing what comes to you in your mind during those periods of time when you're completely relaxed, you're feeling strong, you're, you know, um, you know, yes, it could be work, but you're, but it's a great fun work. You know, it's like, you feel so healthy and strong. And, and I think maybe in that confidence, your mind just builds this kind of idea creation, you know, because your mind is not as cluttered as maybe it would be otherwise. And so, yeah, I've always felt that way. And, and I, I, you know, without really using that as a purpose for creativity, it always acts as that to me. And I come back with a clear mind, maybe more focused with, ideas and yeah it's completely those those writing to me and running are completely intertwined in in my life who i, I mean as an athlete a run, did you play other sports first of all like growing I up did, yeah i mean i played soccer um okay. that was probably my main sport uh, besides uh, track and cross country um did you run anything else besides the 800 i mean i assume yeah, well, it's like a, a 400 I mean, or something. We can do a whole story on that. I don't think your <laughs> listeners would like that too much. But but basically, I was uh, um, in high school, even though I ran cross country, I did the jump. So I was a high jumper okay. and jumper and had like moderate success for high school. So I thought I would continue to do that. And then I got to a community college team and I was terrible, you know. And <laughs> so I basically quit track which is even more of like what I was talking about being an athlete, you know, and why that's so special to me is because I didn't think I had what it took. And so I decided 
I had one more year at this community college and I, after taking a year off, I said, you know, I'm going to try to do something that's just really fun for me. I don't care how I do. End up writing the 1500 and the steeplechase. <laughs> and I had so much fun doing that. Um, yep. I made a really good friend who was very competitive and we worked out, you know, every day in the hills and running on the trails together, you know, in the summer. And, and by the time I got to uh, San Diego State, I said, you know, I think I'm confident. I know uh, that this is something I want to try. And, and coach was a little skeptical at first, but uh, threw me into kind of a, a time trial at the beginning of the, the kind of fall training season. And I did really well. I beat a lot of guys that were already on the team. And, and from then on, I was on the team. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I kind of, that's, that's partly why I think I appreciate what an athlete, um, is all about because I never felt like that was something I was capable of being. Um, so, and it, but again, I, I, what I was getting, at was like, who are some of the, like your heroes or, or, uh, you know, and I think you mentioned something earlier when you saw the Olympics and I'm assuming the Olympics played a big part in your youth because that's, I think we're probably roughly the same age in that, in a general ballpark. It, that was the only time you ever got to see track and field is when the Olympics came around. And, yeah. Oh, and, for sure. And so I still remember, I still remember like the winter, you know, like the Eric Hydens and the, and the swimmers and, and, and the track and, you know, like Carl Lewis is still like a hero in, in terms of like what he did. And Butch Reynolds is from Ohio state. And I mean, Jesse Owens is uh, my Ohio state Buckeye legend, you know, greatness, <laughs> but didn't get to see him run obviously. But the, the stories of, of uh what he did are just legendary uh but so I, I i'm assuming that that was kind of part of your yeah sure yeah it was really 72 is the first olympics i remember and i remember uh like dave waddle obviously jim ryan you know i mean even watching guys uh like uh kip kano of kenya who were kind of just getting started steve prefontaine, yeah, prefontaine. Um, i remember that i think also yeah also like at this stage and I was probably six or seven about this time uh and my dad started running this was kind of the beginning of the running boom and so my dad was in his early 30s and he started running at like this local track and I he'd bring me along and I'd just kind of sit and play in the well, I don't know I was probably old too old to play in the sand but basically <laughs> I just watched him you know and and so it made me want to that was probably as much as Dave Waddle or Jim Ryan it was like watching my dad. And then we happened to be living in the same area where runner's world magazine got started. And the publisher used to hold these races. They weren't even, they called them fun runs every Sunday at this community college near us. And they would hold like races, uh, in like say a mile and, um, uh, say a two mile and a half mile just on the campus there. And they would time them and you get these certificates, like a gold one, if you get a certain time for your age group and a different colors. And so we used to do that every week. It was just a fun thing. My mom was doing, she was never <laughs> athletic. Um, but that was like, it just, it just made running so fun. And it was just kind of that combination of, you know, Hey, you get to watch the Prefontaine, then you get to run, you know, in my jeans, you know, a, a mile around this campus or whatever as a kid. And then, you know, uh, see my dad. And so all these kind of influences all kind of, played a role. And so, um, 
that's where it kind of, I really developed my love of running was just this confluence, I guess at that time. But I mean, I was still a huge football fan and that's I was gonna ask basketball if, fan. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I was a huge Raiders fan. Uh, uh, the Golden State Warriors won a title uh, with Rick Barry, like when I was like 10, that was huge. You know, I mean. And now, uh, that, now they just can't stop winning. Well, I guess this yeah. year they're not going to, but. Um. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland Indians, I don't know. That's another team I follow. Uh, that's actually a team I was going to get drafted by. Is that right? Yeah, out of high school. But my parents wanted me to go to school, which was hindsight the worst idea well i mean i wouldn't be here like because and who you know who knows what would have happened but yeah that it's it's that was another question i was going to ask because that it seems like you kind of had it figured out in the sense that you were writing as well as running kind of maybe one was not no less important than the other like for me I went to Ohio State and I should not have been in school. And so that I got redshirted and then I quit and then I'm done. And then like my sports life, you know, like in terms of potential professional or doing it for a living is, is basically over. And that, I mean, you know, that's, it's kind of crushing because that's what, what I kind of w thought that I was. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, you were saying stuff about that, you know, you never thought you were, but you did it. And that, you know, what, I guess what we kind of think of ourselves, um, even though I was always creative, I never, I, I always tell this story to my students. The first time I went to school, I did not even know I could take art in school, in college, that is like, that could be my, my major and just never, never knew. I don't know that it would have mattered at that point in time, but it, it's just, it's funny to think back about how we or how I used to define myself um, because I mean, I was, I was an athlete and yeah. How did you grow uh, to love art? I always did it. I mean, mm -hmm. I always, I was always that weird athlete that was in art classes. I remember being in this art class in high school and one, one of the people that's in that class is like a super famous painter and this is high school, you know, she's a super famous painter now. And I was like the only, I was like the oddball out. So I was, I always kind of felt like I never truly fit in anywhere because I was doing art, but I, so that the athletes at that time, obviously you could not be a creative person if you were an athlete. And of course the, the artists couldn't be athletes. So it was, you know, it was like very defined barriers and it was just strange. It was a strange thing. But I, yeah, I mean, I was always the kid at the kitchen table drawing and painting and doing stuff. Um, but again, it was just never something that I even knew you could do. I mean, I, I, it sounds so stupid to say that, but for like, so hearing you, like, I mean, really, truly, it sounds like the art version of that movie, Almost Famous, where your parents are driving you to write, write a story. It's so it's kind of, it's kind I of interesting to me. Yeah, the, the art part of it, I think, to writing is, for me anyway, is is like telling people stories in a different way. Like, I, I pride myself on telling stories that have nothing to do with sports, even though they're about sports. Yep. So, for instance, um, I'll give you an example of, uh, say, a story I did and what, what I'm trying to express. 
but we there was a, a high school football coach um, around here who uh, came down with ALS. You know, um, I mean that's a death sentence right there. Yeah. And um, he continued to coach with ALS even as he deteriorated. He they he was in a he would coach from a golf cart. He couldn't talk anymore, so he would uh, signal the plays to his wife through like moving his lips and his eyes. And somehow they've created this kind of unspoken language where they can figure out what he's, what he means. So then, so he'd be on the sidelines, he'd be giving signals to his wife uh, and she would relay them in words to the assistant coach who would then do a hand motion to the quarterback. Um, and that they would, that's how they would call the plays. Um, that's, a so movie. It, that's a movie. Like that's, that's yeah, intense. That's, that's yeah. There actually was a TV movie about that um, oh, wow. with like Pam Dauber was his wife. Okay. <laughs> and uh, there's another guy in there. I can't remember his name, who was him. But uh, by the time I got to it, he had already been um, with ALS for almost 30 years. So he oh, was very, God. he really, yeah. I, yeah. Just, I just know somebody recently that passed away within the last month. From yeah. ALS and it, it probably it was, was, a, it was a year. Like exactly. from diagnosis to death. And it was, you know, and, and that's the common, yeah. that's very rarely, is it a slow, yeah. I guess, growing one, but for him, he was able to live with this for a long time, but a lot of it was, you know, and who knows how the scientific part of it was his, um, his view of life. He was still really positive, really optimistic. He would be um, encouraging other people. Um, you know, he would, you know, speak through his wife, you know, at churches or whatever. Um, but by the time I got to him, he was, uh, like I said, he'd had this for about 30 years. And one of the things that I found most fascinating, this is just like one small thing, but it illustrates kind of what I, the approach that I had was that he loved cooking shows. Like <laughs> he was this football coach for years. He played football at Michigan state. He was a quarterback and, he, uh, but he loved to watch cooking shows, even though he had a trach in his throat and couldn't taste any food or even eat any food. Um, and so they would go to restaurants and he couldn't smell. He'd lost his sense of smell. But what they would do was they would, they would um, get him up, ready to, to go up the ramp to a restaurant. And then they would start pushing him really fast. And when they, then somebody would open the door to the restaurant and in that moment of him going really fast through that door, he could somehow smell the food that was uh, coming out of the restaurant because otherwise, because he had no muscles where he could actually smell those things on his own. So that was like his joy that he would get wow. is somebody sprinting, pushing his wheelchair and somebody opening the door really fast. And then he would get this whiff of, of the restaurant. And he, and that was something that I found out and I would, I, put in my story. And to me, that illustrates more about this guy than and what he's gone through than almost anything I could say about his background in sports or even coaching teams to championships, you know, but, and that's the type of thing that people remember. So in a way, like when I think of say my, the way that I try to try to bring art, maybe if that's the right word to a story, it's yep. those kinds of things that are like you mentioned, like really abstract, but really tell a story by themselves what's those things yeah. that people like you said a minute ago it's those things that people don't know even though that story 
became a movie, which I'll have to actually look that up now. But it's still, you're telling something that just goes beyond what people know about this person. And those, I mean, the, 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 I always say this more than the athlete, you know, because that's such a, a popular kind of term in the last couple of years, but it's true. It's like th- these people that are, are you know, he, he's on a lesser level because he's a high school coach, but he's still defined that he is a football coach. That's mm-hmm. who he was. But then you find out these things and that just, it, it, it humanizes them. I mean, it, it makes, you know, and, and it, I just, those things to me, like become really cool stories, uh, that it, it just, it takes you in a direction that's unexpected. Those are the things that I really love is when, when something, when you find out something about somebody, it's like when we started this business in some way, it, you know, I was a former high level athlete. My business partner, uh, played soccer, was a high level soccer player and, but we're both creatives in different ways. Like he's a designer. I'm more of a fine artist, but then we started, you know, we started talking about concussions and like, does creativity like help us recover even. And then we started really researching who are artists that are, you know, creative people that are athletes at the highest level. And it's like, you find out that there's more out there than you would have expected. And I think that that's even growing now, I think predominantly because there's a willingness for people to expose themselves, the, the vulnerability, and even talking about, you know, mental wellness a lot. You know, like a Kevin Love, for instance, uh, a Brandon Marshall, who who talk about that wouldn't have happened when we were growing up, like at all. I mean, I the the one person I remember, and it's actually funny. It's it's one of these things that I've actually talked to Adam about. Like, I want to do a. a a 30 for 30 or, or some sort of documentary. You remember Rosie Greer and the guy, you know, big badass football player in the sixties and, but he knits and it's, it's just like one of those things that's wait a minute, what he does, what? And, and I love that. I love that guy because he does that, you know, because it's unexpected, but I think he loved it. Wanted to take a quick second, make sure to check out Dave's writings at go Stanford backslash featured. Make sure again to listen to our upcoming podcast on the Abstract Athlete Network. One is called The Abstract Doctors with Dr. G and Dr. C. Follow us at theabstractdoctors.com and on social media under The Abstract Doctors. And excited to announce One Man's Ethos podcast with Tony Mandrich, which you can follow on Instagram at One Man's Ethos. And you can follow Tony on Instagram at Tony Mandrich and check out Tony's artwork at TonyMandrich.com. Now back to Dave. There was that. I don't know if you're old enough to have watched the Brady Bunch. Do you remember when uh, uh, Deacon Jones uh, oh, yeah. came to their football practice because Peter was uh, being mm-hmm. teased because he was uh, he loved to sing or something, and then Deacon Jones comes out and says, "Hey, what's the matter with that? I was in. I'm in the choir. I love to sing or yep. whatever. You know." <laughs> well, it was, I, it, it was kind of an oddity. I, you remember when Lynn Swan used to take 
ballet lessons and it was like yeah lynn swan's doing what he's doing ballet i mean like that's kind of crazy and now it's it's almost if you don't do ballet if you don't do those kind of a agility kind of exercises and an understanding of balance it's like then you're the all the oddball out but i think that vulnerability that wall is starting to really break down and to me it's really cool because you know and that's why i think your story brings that even more to light when when you start finding out these these details about people that humanize them and i, I don't know a better way to say that yeah. but like humanizes yeah, it's all it's all that connection. I think you're right. I see that all the time with the athletes that I deal with. So many have artistic, uh, I don't say talents. Like like uh, we have a lot of people who will just like show show me like some sketches they've been doing or something that's has nothing to do with their major, their sports, whatever. But they're incredible, you know. Um, and I see that a lot more these days. Uh, uh, people that have this outlet um, for art in some form. And you're like, wow, where did that come from? You know, or um, like you said, I think the vulnerability is hopefully continuing to be something that people see more of because um, that was never, that never, you know, you'd have the, the, the coach who was a really tough coach and he'd scream and yell and all that. Well, fortunately now that's kind of going by the wayside and so that mentality of, you know, you can't show anything that might not be macho or, or you know, this certain persona. Now that stuff's starting to be going by the wayside as well. And it's amazing to see. And yeah, that's a, I think it's all about connection. You know, if you see something, um, uh, you know, that you feel like you can connect it, whether it's a piece of art, that's a connection you have. Or if it's somebody telling a story that there's something there, you're like, oh, I get it. You know, I understand that. That's something that I, I you know, I, I, I also experience in some different way or whatever. Um, do you ever, do you ever write any, any like, uh, like short stories or poems? I mean, is that a, ever any part yeah. of your... I do have a, some short stories and I'm uh, wrestling, not, not wrestling is the wrong word, but um, I want to, I want to take the first step, I guess, in getting some stuff published. And I'm cool. actually, um, I just joined a writing group. Um, oh, just in the past couple months, which has been so encouraging. Um, and it's people that we were all in an online class uh, and we just kind of connected and, you know, one person lives in Mexico, another one lives in Brazil, another one lives in Paris. Um, That's awesome. Another one lives like 10 miles down the street uh, from me, <laughs> you know, but somehow we have this kind of love for writing. And so we're trying, we're, we're actually like encouraging each other. And actually the first thing that I want to do, and actually I want to do it today. I want to start doing this today is I have an <laughs> idea for a, a children's book based on an experience that my dad um, went through when he was a kid and it involves the Cleveland Indians. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've kind of done some, how did, how did, the, what did, how did the Cleveland Indians thing come about? <laughs> That's such a yeah. random team. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> for it's a West coaster. Of, yeah. It's, it's part of the story. So, uh, my dad grew up in Western Colorado, um, in the fifties and there was no teams obviously West of St. Louis back right. then. And so, um, so I don't know, you know, somehow, I don't know, he had a third grade report on Ohio. I don't know. Somehow, <laughs> you know, uh, it's the weird, how do you follow teams? I mean, I don't know. 
like why you pick certain teams, you know, if, right. uh, but that, that was the weird way that he got connected with them. He'd never been to Cleveland. Um, and then he did, you know, started kind of following baseball and Bob Feller was pitching and Bob Lemon and all these, uh, and, the, and they were actually, famers. Yeah. Yeah. They were all good back then. They were, you know, the Yankees were there, but then the Indians were like probably a good number two back in those days. And so the story, um, the story is that they were going to play uh, kind of a barnstorming game in Denver on their way back from spring training. Cause the giants and the uh, Indians were the, I think maybe the only two teams in that era that were doing spring training in Arizona. And so they would go back East and play games on the way. And so there was a game in Denver and my dad somehow convinced my grandfather that they were going to go to this game is 250 miles had to drive over the mountains and they would have to take their day off a couple of days off of school, you know, right. But somehow he convinced him to do it. And of course, along the way, it started to snow. They were had to cross a 12,000 foot pass. Yep. It was so bad that my dad and his brother had to like walk on the sides of the road to make sure my my grandpa was actually driving on the road and not over a cliff. <laughs> and somehow, somehow they made it to the game. And um, it was a beautiful day the next day. And they watched the Indians play. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's so a great. Anyway, that's, I mean, that, see, that's that's a that's a great that's life. That's a great story. I yeah, mean, that, like yeah. that's that's such a cool way to actually become a fan of a team. Yeah, <laughs> My, yeah. yeah so, I don't know. So hopefully, I'd like to work that into a a, a children's book, kind of a picture children's book. Yep. Um, that's my goal. I that that I mean, but I, again, like I think that that's like really cool because it's it's just a different component to your your day job writing, you know, right. which is still creative because I, I, you know, I always tell people, it's like, you know, I, I teach art, but it's like, I still get to do it. I mean, like, I can't complain ever. Like, it's crazy to me that I'm able to do that stuff. So, yeah. I, yeah. And if you can somehow either make a living at it or, I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it's, it blows me away that, you know, that I've been able to make a living doing writing. Yeah. I just still don't believe Who, that. Who, like, maybe you already answered this with the with the ALS um, story, but like who like who's like one of the cooler people that you've ever been able to write a story on? Yeah, I'm not, I uh, was curious. I was curious. How long have you been at Stanford? Because I want to know if you talked to Richard Sherman. Because I oh yeah, imagine he would be just. I met him a couple years ago here in Richmond um, at a football camp um, event that uh, Michael Robinson lives in Richmond, and just like that guy is just the smartest. I mean, it, it's, and, and he's a badass football player and I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been at Stanford for about 12 years. And okay. so it happened to coincide with uh, the program's re resurgence as a, as a football team into like a top 10 program. And yeah, yeah Richard Sherman, I've met and done stories on Andrew Luck, um, Christian McCaffrey I actually wrote his, uh, uh, announcement that he was um, going to turn pro. Oh, well, that's and, cool. Um, you know, a lot of those guys, but there's actually two different people that I think have made the biggest impact on me and neither of them was a household name, but uh, they both have fascinating stories. And one was um, a kid that I had actually covered in high school when I was working in newspapers. And then he came to Stanford and he was a kid who, I don't know, he, he was like the worst circumstance you could ever come out of he was a crack baby his dad was in prison his uh mom was uh unfit to raise him because she was a drug addict um 
he grew up with um, his aunt as basically his mother. Somebody was shot in their doorway and killed uh, during gang violence. Um, grew up in San Francisco in a really terrible neighborhood. His aunt who took care of him died when he was 14. I mean, it's like it goes on and on. His stepfather took him over, took care of him. Then he died a few months later of cancer, you know, and yet this kid somehow ends up as a valedictorian of his high school, comes to Stanford playing football and track, sets a school record in track, uh, um, and decides to, he wants to be a public servant, basically, uh, either a judge or get into politics. And all, along the way, he's got, you know, goes to Oxford, you know, he goes to inner city Chicago and tutors a bunch of kids, you know, and then he comes back to California, he's working in state government. And then uh, he's starting to make an impact. And then he ends up uh, getting a brain tumor and dying of brain cancer at age 29. Jesus. Um, and through all this time, I, I'd known him. And I saw him develop from this high school kid to this athlete at Stanford to this, you know, kid who didn't think he could hack it at Stanford, you know, to somebody who was thriving and was going to help people. And he, I think that he, he became probably the most impactful person. His name is Tyrone McGraw. Um, he is probably the most in, impactful person I have ever written about in my life. And I still, um, to this day, uh, consider him uh, the biggest inspiration that I've ever had. And and I, there was a, his high school recently had a fundraiser where they created a scholarship in his name for uh, black kids to come to this private all boys high school. And they used my story. I wrote a big story for our, our website as kind of a tribute to him. And they used that as the key for getting people to donate. And they actually raised like a hundred thousand wow. um, dollars for the scholarship. Um, and a lot was because of the work that I had done in writing about him. And so, I mean, for me, like those are the things that are, I've won some awards here and there, but that's, those are the things that make me the most proud, you know, of anything that I've done, you know, in my, in my life. And, you know, I still have ideas of projects, personal projects of even getting more into detail about his life for maybe some, I don't know what. Like some, a book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, th I that that it feels like you know, and I've I, I read a couple of stories that I found here and there online, and you do capture the story, you know, the the stuff that's not the superficial stuff. Like there's the the like you use that word impactful, like that that's you know that's like such a deep story, and how can you not be affected by that? I mean, you, you, me, everybody, I mean, I mean, the royal you, um, because I, the people that are sitting here changing the world, sometimes we don't know it <laughs> mm -hmm. because we, we want to look at, you know, that the, the superstars or the, the, uh, the, these, the, the actors and, and the people that are, you know, the, the musicians that everybody knows, but sometimes it's, it's the, the person behind the scenes um, that's just, just as important, maybe more important. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it's, I, I do think that stories like that really help move people along in a, in a good yeah, way to understand. I agree. And I, I think that part of uh, 
part of the idea is to find people like that, that may not, you know, Andrew Luck may have been, uh, he's done some great things. He's, you know, he's a great athlete and all that stuff, but maybe he's not the person that can make say the biggest impact in something else like this kid has done, you know, or, um, you know, there's all kinds of things like that, uh, that I always feel like everybody's got, you know, their own story and you still, you hear that every once in a while. Um, but it's really how you tell it that really can do, you know, I see stuff about somebody in a, in the newspaper and I'm like, wow, that, you know, that could have been so much better because you really didn't get into the, what this person is all about, you know? And so that's really the challenge I think. And, you know, making something impactful is like, well, what's the real story here? What's the, right. what's going to connect people the most, you know? Well, and it's, it, it's like you said, the unfortunate situation is that, that what's his name, Tyrone, he was probably born into a situation. He had no, he was just born and like, you're born in or like, so his, his story is like, he survived the struggle, not just survived it. Like he thrived. And even if he, even the fact that he died way, way, way too young, like he still impacted people and then still sounds like he's impacting you and his school's now doing, I mean, like that, that's impact. Like that's change. Like that's, that's something that, you know, you just, you can't teach that. And, and I don't know. I mean, I think that's, I think you should write a book. That, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, well, you know, like at the end of these things, we always like to f- like to, to make it sort of fun, I guess. I don't know if that that's the best word. You, we already kind of we already kind of talked about your favorite sport teams and stuff like that. Are you upset about the the Raiders leaving? First of all, are you? Okay yeah, with I'm that? used to it. <laughs> I guess that's more. true. Yeah. Although I think this time I'm, you know, I hate to say it cause I'm, you know, I love the Raiders for yeah. when I was a kid, but I think I'm done with them. I hate to say it. <laughs> Moved yeah. on. Going, yeah. to the, going to the 49ers. What's going to happen here? No, okay. I'm just going to be neutral okay. from now on. Okay. Yeah. You can be a Seahawk fan. We'll accept you. I'm just telling you. <laughs> um, well, you know, one of the other things we like, you've probably traveled a lot. Like what is, what is kind of a favorite city of yours? It doesn't have to be in the United States. It can be anywhere. And we always like the food recommendations. So like, give us, <laughs> give us, you know, you can give us a San Francisco. I haven't been out there in a little while, but, uh, cause San Francisco is a damn good food city. Um, but yeah, just kind of like those goofy questions. And then, you know, what music, like, do you, do you mm. listen to music and what, what's, what, yeah. All right. So my, <laughs> there's lots my, of questions there. Yeah. My Bay area kind of bias is really going to come out here, but uh, Santana is my all time favorite artist. That's not a bad <laughs> bias to have. That guy's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And I keep threatening my family that um, I'm going to create the Santana tour. So basically like going to his, and I don't think we can ever get into these places, but at least driving to his, uh, recording studios with some of the uh, places in the city where he played, you know, his high school, uh, the drive-in burger place that he got his first job, you know, and all this stuff. And my wife's not that excited about it, but, um, (laughs) you know, out of my three kids, one of them is excited about it. So 
you know. But hey, you're, yeah, bat- I- you're batting what three thirty three there, so you got to look at it in baseball terms. That's a success right there. Yeah, exactly. And like San Francisco, I love San Francisco. Um, there, I I couldn't name like say a specific restaurant because I'm not, I don't, I don't, we're not really restaurant people, but like the best ice cream in the history of ice cream is in San Francisco. It's a place called Byright, which is. It's not even like something you would ever hear about unless you're like a local. Right. Uh, but it's the best ice cream in the history of the planet. Uh, <laughs> Adam Adam, and I might argue about that with you because we have a <laughs> we have a Columbus ice cream that that is pretty uh, – even though I don't really eat ice cream ever, but it's, <laughs> it's, from what I understand is like legendary. So <laughs> There you go. Yeah, anything uh, Mexican food, yeah. you know. Sushi, those types of things can't beat it out here for yeah. sure. Oh no, God no! It's seafood in the in the coast, absolutely. And you're gonna just go with San Francisco? I I, I can't argue with you. San Francisco <laughs> is like is is one of the legendary cities. And, yeah. And I I actually love your weather. I I love. I mean, again, sitting here on the on the East Coast when in the summertime, if it's 110 degrees, you can't go under a tree. <laughs> because it's so humid that you can't breathe. So like I prefer being out there where you can wear a sweatshirt every day. Yeah, well that's the problem. If you go to San Francisco in the summer, you're definitely going to need a sweatshirt I'm if not more that. layers than that. Yeah. I'm totally fine with that. So Yeah. Um well anything that we didn't cover, I feel like I you know, like it's been like really cool to like hear your stories and and you know, excited to read more because I do think that how you do write has an impact. And um, I don't think that's necessarily about the people you write about. I think you find out the stuff that you want to write about them, if that made that was a really twisted way to say that. But I think you're, again, I haven't written, I read some stuff that I found online, but it, it, it definitely resonates. And I think that that's the, the sign of a really good writer or very interesting writer where it's something that stays with you. And, and I'm, I'm definitely, I will, I will text you and make sure you write books because I think that there's something in there in, in some of the the people that you've talked to that, that can go beyond these, you know, like these articles. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like uh, I pride myself on writing in a, in a way that other people would not do it and partly is because of the uh like those kind of inside stories that people may not know how to ask or find out about and i just found out like this one about a woman who's on the women's basketball team and her grandmother was at the i have a dream speech you know that never would have come up i don't think that would ever come up in any interview with her unless you know so stuff like that it's just priceless and if I could put in a plug for a lot of my uh, writing is on uh, gostanford.com oh, okay. uh, backslash featured uh, with the D. So yeah, and I'll, we'll put this, we'll put this on, on there. So that's yeah, cool. a lot of okay. my stuff. Is in that. But, uh, but yeah, I agree. I just, <clears throat> you know, I think there's, everybody has, even in art, you know, everybody has their own perception of what, um, like for me, what makes a good story or, or nobody could tell it your story or nobody could do your piece of art. Like you can, you know, yeah. it's everybody is so unique in how they approach things. And even the, the things they have passion about, nobody can duplicate what you can do with this, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of the, 
attitude that I kind of bring. Well, oh, and it. I think that that's similar to being an athlete. Like that's, that's the thing that I think another connection to the two is, is that everybody has their own way about it. Like no matter what, like I, I always go back to baseball cause that was my thing, but it's like, obviously you want to have your hands at the correct place for, for the actual contacting the ball, but everybody has a different stance that, you know, it's just like, as long as you get your hands to that space, that needs to be when you're connecting with the ball. Like that's all that matters. Like allow everything, the you into everything else. And exactly like art, art is dictated on you being you. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like nobody had a, a a way of delivery like Tom Seaver did, you know, or, you know, or Juan Marichal or nobody had a batting stance like Joe Morgan. You know I mean? It's like, yeah, everything is so original and it's just uh, everybody approaches their craft in a different way but with their kind of own unique yep. qualities and that's yeah. the beauty of it I, I like we used to make fun of like the joe morgan you know like with his <laughs> i mean but it's like that guy was legend and and you know I, I we used to do yeah i just remember sitting around like doing batting stances and seeing if people could recognize i just don't know if that stuff happens anymore i doubt it but <laughs> but um well, thank you, man. Like this has been like really, really great. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you jumping on here and, um, well, you know, like uh, it's exciting to hear, hear these stories and, and ex- I'm excited to like put this out and like, let, let other people like discover some of the writings. And, and the one thing I would say is like, if, you know, like how we got connected to you through, through Adam, which I'm going to have Adam on at some point in time as well. If you know anybody like, you know, that it would be fit for jumping on here and we, we have no defined parameters. So we, <laughs> we're all over the place. We're just, we're interested in content. And that's why I think that your stories are so important because there's so much content with it. But if you know anybody, just like, feel free to put them in, in touch with me. Um, okay. Cause it's, we're just really, you know, excited about what we're doing and excited about, you know, sharing and 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 putting you know your stuff out in the world in a different way different platform so yeah i really appreciate this is fun yeah no it's cool um like i said the the only other thing i was going to say um is if you have any friends that are musicians (laughs) um i always put music in the production of the podcast if not I'll either write some or use some stuff that we have, but I always like to ask the people that I, you know, I talk to because sometimes it's just fun to have, I had a, had a, a friend of mine that used to be the field hockey coach at Princeton and two of her former players are in a band now. And so we use their music, you know, so it's just, it's kind of a nice connectedness. So if we can get Carlos Santana to do it, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I actually used to be in a band called Abraxas. No way. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. And we played a bunch of, a bunch of Santana covers on top of a bunch of originals, but there was definitely kind of that, you know, that Stevie Ray Vaughan Abraxas-y kind of um, soul kind of bluesy thing. It was great. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of times when I feel like I really need to focus, like if I'm writing something, I'll put on, uh, it's, it's an album that nobody ever listens to of Santana. It's called Caravanserai. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But it's just kind of this kind of moody kind yeah. of, and I actually like that album a lot. Yeah. I, you know, I used to hate it because there's no like <laughs> pop songs on it, you know, 
but now I love it. It's yeah. like one of my favorite albums. Yeah, because you just disappear in it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so that's all. Like if I need to get in the right mood, I'll put that on my headphones and I'll start listening to that. Well, and then it'll get me going on my writing. Yep, <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. Well, cool. Well, thank you. Like I said, I'll text you, let you know um, when this will be out. It'll be a couple weeks, probably. We're we're about one a week at this point, and we got got a little bit of a backload, but. Um, but like I said, if you, ha if you have any musician friends, if not, it's no big deal, but, um, throw it out there. Enjoy your weather. We actually have a San Francisco day today, so I'm not going to complain. It's like beautiful out. So, um, <laughs> and go, go talk to Adam at, like I said, I just texted him earlier. So, and, um, but we'll catch up soon, but I do like really, really, really appreciate this, this is really fun. Yeah. Thanks Ron. I really appreciate it as well. So I appreciate you reaching out. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Have a good one. All right, man. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye. Really want to say thanks again to Dave for coming on the podcast today. I uh, loved hearing his stories and, you know, how his writing is so important to the human experience. Um, again, make sure to check out Dave's writings at go-stanford-featured. Make sure again to listen to our upcoming podcast on the Abstract Athlete Network, The Abstract Doctors with Dr. G and Dr. C. Follow us at theabstractdoctors.com and on social media under The Abstract Doctors. And also One Man's Ethos podcast with Tony Mandrich, which you can follow on Instagram at One Man's Ethos. And you can also check or follow Tony on Instagram at Tony Mandrich. And you can check out Tony's artwork at tonymandrich.com. Thank you for listening to The Abstract Athlete Podcast. Stop by our website, theabstractathlete.com, and our social media outlets for future events, pop-up exhibits, podcasts, and other information, including daily creative training journals and subscription boxes. See you next time when we talk with artist, entrepreneur, and former Virginia Tech and Buffalo Bill defensive tackle, Nigel Williams. Thanks as always, and do not forget to exercise the body and do not forget to exercise the mind. Stay well out there.